VIP listeners, thank you for joining us on the mark. And we have a beautiful, beautiful episode for you guys today. We got the guy, Freddie Prince Jr., joining us for the conversation, Benny. He's going to sit down with us. He's going to talk it all out. We got some questions for him. He's a guy we've admired for a very long time, for multiple eras of our life, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, we liked him when we were younger. We still like him to this day. That tells you a lot about a person. He's a likable cat, and gang, you're going to uh, really enjoy this. I can promise you that. Yeah, Marky, talk about summer catch. This is the catch of the summer getting this guy on this show, man. It is, and uh, at the end of the day, Benny, he's just another great guy which we always like to have on this show. We like to have great people on this show, and we like to have the talk with them. Well, it's amazing when big household names like Freddie Prince Jr., you can tell, is just so down-to-earth and a likable guy, despite having all these life experiences that could definitely twist you the other way. Right, and he's accomplished so much. He's only 42 now, still a young guy. Yeah. So much ahead of him. He's a guy that, as a kid in the 90s going to the movies renting movies and whatnot because there was no on demand then benny there was no netflix then i always used to enjoy seeing freddie you know i know what you did last summer both of them actually i thoroughly enjoyed and still reference to this day summer catch big time freddie was in uh, family matters at, at a young age and that was like my favorite sitcom when i was a kid you know, I know it was only a cameo, but it's just kind of funny how these things come together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guy has been, you know, role model, somebody you look up to, somebody you just appreciate what he does for literally our whole lives. Yeah, no doubt about it. And gang, this is pretty much the rundown. You know, we're going to talk to him about his career in Hollywood. We're going to talk to him about his marriage and relationship with Sarah Michelle Geller. We're going to talk about his experience working for Vince McMahon and the WWE. We're going to discuss, uh, you know, anything that uh, seems interesting, which whichever way the conversation takes us. We're going to delve into it. And we like to pick the brains of these kind of people. He's, I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to make you laugh. He makes me laugh, Benny. He makes you laugh. He's an entertainer. I mean, his father was a comedian. The guy's been nothing but an entertainer almost his entire life. So it's no surprise that he's going to entertain the hell out of us on this show. And, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., that's just a cool name. Always. If you cool have name. that friggin' name, you're, like, destined for success. Yeah, FPJ, man. <laughs> he's, he's the man. It's uh, it's It's got a great flow to it. Oh, Freddie yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. I wish I was a prince. He's a prince, but... You know, I'll be a prince or a prince. Well, you know why his dad originally took the name Prince? Shoot, why? Well, it's because his dad originally wanted to be known as the King of Comedy, but Alan King already kind of had that name locked up, so he figured he'd be the Prince of Comedy instead. I love it. I love it, because it reminds me of Pat's King of Steaks and Steve's Prince of Steaks. Yeah, and it's so cool how he didn't just go with the typical Prince spelling. You know, he's yeah, throwing he the Z. Yeah, yeah, it adds, like a, it adds an element there, man. Yeah, absolutely. I dig it. It's very cool. It'd be cool to be a Prince, man. Uh, it'd be I'd so walk, nice I'd to walk be around a with a scepter. Yes. I'd feel like Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, I gotta say. All right. I, I'd probably be more along the lines of uh, 
Cersei's kid in Game of Thrones. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right up your alley. I always, I always thought that one of the best parts of being a prince was having those miniature elephants running around your little ha house. Oh, like, like as your play toys? Yeah, it's like your pets. Yeah, you yeah, got some exactly. mini elephant. Exactly. Hello, Babar. I would definitely have a scepter, though. I'll tell you that. I'd be pointing that scepter at people. Sure. You yeah. go get me this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. To go back to coming to America, you know, having the baths with the bathers sure. would always be nice to sure. start the morning off. Absolutely. I would always have to have, you know, a pristine breakfast laid out for me. Absolutely. I'm talking, you know, at one Silk of those robe. tables where they can fit 300 people. Yeah, but it's just me there. Yes, and your parents are on the, the other, other side, side. <laughs> and yeah, you're yeah. a good two football fields away from <laughs> right. them. I'm thinking silk robe. I'm thinking silk underwear. Yes, yes. Only the finest silk. Yes, imported from Japan. I was gonna say India, but sure, one of those, one of those places. That's another thing. I think there's like a difference being a prince in like I don't know Spain. Did Spain have princes? I'm sure they did. At some time. And then you know them being like a, a prince in like a freezing cold Nordic country, living in like this cold stone cat. It doesn't seem as enjoyable. Well, certainly not. I want the veranda. I want the... A Prince of Arabia sounds out, much at, look, cooler. Look, yeah, Prince of Arabia, right. The yeah. heat. Yeah. Tan. Yeah. You know? Getting carried through the desert on one of those giant beds. Yeah, that they, with the, yes. like the, the poles that yes, the guys yes, carry. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Eating grapes in there. Yeah, whatnot. you got the little cabana top and yes. you got maybe a woman or two in there with right. you. That would always be cool. Right. Well, you know the best part of being a prince, right? What's that? Nobody's trying to kill you. Yeah, that's right. They always want the king. Yeah, that's right. The king's kind of like the lightning rod, and you're the you're the up-and-comer. I don't know if you know this, but Prince Charles of England, he's been in line for the throne for about 70 years now. <laughs> that's no lie. That's the queen brutal. will not die on him. That's brutal. And he's been in line for the throne for 70 years. Is it brutal? Or did he make out? Because no one wanted to kill him. Yeah, it's just at some point you just kind of want to take the next step. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Who's the best prince in a movie ever? Prince. Was he in a movie? Purple Rain. They made a movie of the song Purple Rain? Yeah. Or the album Purple Rain? Yeah, I believe it was like, you know, that was kind of the point of the whole thing. It was like a movie music thing. Really? I could be wrong about that, but they definitely made a movie about it. Interesting. Michael Jackson's Thriller won an Academy Award. But we got the real thriller on next, gang. Our guy, Freddie Prince Jr., joining us on the mark.
VIP listeners, we now have our guy, Freddie Prince Jr. joining us. Freddie, how you doing, man? How's your morning going out there in Cali? I'm very well. We have June gloom, but that just means it's in the 60s, so everything is groovy. Absolutely. Now, Freddie, a lot of our VIP listeners, they were thrilled when they heard you were joining us. Myself, Benny Spielberg, my co-host, was thrilled as well. We wanted to start off by asking, you know, what was it like being a Hollywood heartthrob? <laughs> I mean, look, I, my father was in the business before me in the 70s. So for your younger your younger listeners, he, uh, he had the number one comedy in the country in 1976. His name was Freddie Prenz, obviously. Um, he was on a show called Chico and the Man. And he had... Uh, he was a really popular comic. He had just stolen the Caesar's Palace gig from that scumbag Bill Cosby. Oh, that's um, right. He is a total scumbag. Philadelphia's uh, well, own Bill Cosby. They were gonna they were gonna pay him four million, and my dad went and spoke to the manager there and said, "Hey, I'll do it for two. And they were like, "Oh yeah, peace." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Bill hated Bill hated my father for that forever. But uh, so because of that, I had a little more preparation and a little more readiness for the business my the man I call Uncle Ron um, was my father's manager he was Richard Pryor's manager he was Prince's manager he was Ray Parker Jr.'s manager the dude that sang the Ghostbusters song so he he had seen everything you could see and he prepared me very well for what was going to happen so when it hit it didn't affect me too much in, in the negative way that it gets a lot of people. But again, I was, I was a weird kid, man. I was raised differently. You know, my, I lived with my godparents for a while. My godfather's Bob Walt. That's the dude that trained Bruce Lee when Bruce came to America. His best friend was Chuck Norris. That was the first person I ever got to spar when I was friggin' four years old. So I just had a different mentality, a martial arts mentality, uh, don't take any crap mentality, and definitely uh, don't think too highly of yourself or Gene LaBelle will choke you out, which he did in the third grade. Now, um, now so Freddie, I, I heard... I was I, just a different kind of dude. I had heard that your godfather gave Muhammad Ali a, a bloody nose, or was that your father? No, that was that was my dad. He oh taught my, my dad God. how to fight. That's crazy. Dad, that's why he became my godfather. So my dad used to... He loved boxing. I have every one of all these fights because of my father. He had them all, and I just transitioned them to whatever the newest technology was. Um, so my father was obsessed with them. They became really good friends. Um, when my dad was 22, he ho- or 21, he hosted The Tonight Show for Johnny Carson when Johnny took a night off. And he, he had George Foreman as his guest, and they did a sketch where my dad did his Ali impression and knocked out Big George, right? Right. So all that started because Ali used to beat the crap out of my dad. Like, they would spar in Ali's backyard. And Ali would, wouldn't would even pull his punches hardly, just straight up whoop my dad's ass, right? <laughs> so my dad got, he got tired of this. And they were still good friends. I spar with my friends. We beat each other's ass, too. It's okay. Uh-huh. But he went to Bob, he went to Bob Wall, because Bob Wall was famous for, like, teaching Steve McQueen how to fight teaching James Garner how to fight. All these old-school Hollywood tough guys that were soft before they met my godfather. Right. And so my dad went to him, and Bob taught him the left hook. And one day, Ali and my pops were in Ali's living room, 
and they were fooling around, and Ali was popping a jab in my dad's face, and my dad threw a hook and caught Ali in the nose, and the couch was behind Muhammad, so he fell back onto the couch, and my dad ran into the bathroom, and he grabbed his towel, and he came out, he wiped the blood off Ali's face, and then he hauled ass out of his house, <laughs> jumps in his 75 Stingray, and drives home, and it's framed. But it looks like it's a war medal, because it's on purple velvet, with a brown frame around it, and it says Ali's blood, June something, 1970. Something. Yeah, yeah. My mom has it. She won't let me have it. When she she literally said, "When I die, you can have it." Yeah, I was just gonna say that's a true heirloom right there. Now yeah, she won't let it go. Now, Freddie, all this martial arts stuff, all this fighting background, this tough guy background, it kind of makes sense to me now. Uh, the your tenure with the WWE. Uh, working for Vince McMahon, you know, it, it makes sense now because to me it always came out of the blue. I was like this, you know, a, a teen movie actor, an actor getting into the WWE. It, it just seemed somewhat random. Tell me more about your time with the WWE because I was always curious about that. Uh, being a writer for WWE, that's like a <laughs> dream job. That's amazing. What was, what was that like? Uh, to this day... It's the best time I've ever had getting paid to do something. Yeah. Um, but it was also the hardest, this sounds stupid, but I'll explain why. It was also the hardest job I ever had. Um, harder than manual labor jobs that I had, harder than changing tires in Sam's Club in Albuquerque, New Mexico, harder than all that crap. Um, but it all started, I mean, I saw the Ultimate Warrior at King Lee Coliseum just outside Albuquerque, New Mexico in like 1980, whatever it was. And he was so friggin' gigantic and huge that I, and all I had seen was TV and I always pulled for the bad guy because the bad guys always won on TV because Vince would make you pay money for the pay-per-view to see the good guy actually win a match. Right, right. Um, so I saw this monster in, I was, so I always loved Andre. He was my favorite. But then I saw the warrior in real life, and that's what really sort of got me addicted to uh, to wrestling. So after I had quit acting, um, I was hanging out in New York, and we were going to go to WrestleMania. It was me, Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> Seth Green, and uh, Kieran, and Emma Stone. And that's a nice we all right went there. to... Yeah, we all went to WrestleMania, and we all had bets on the triple threat. It was Randy, uh, Triple H, and I think Cena in a triple threat. And Mac and I bet Orton, because we always know the heels are going to win in that situation, and of course Orton won. Um, so Mac and I split like 400 bucks, which was awesome. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, um, after the match, I met one of the people who worked there, and uh, they said, oh, you know, come on backstage. You know, we'd love to bring you back there. And so all of us were, you know, hanging out. I just was talking more to some of, like, the old school guys than the new school kids. And one of them was uh, a writer. And one was, like, a publicist kind of for the company. And we were talking ideas. And the publicist said, yo, you should, you should talk to Stephanie McMahon. And I was like, for what? And she goes, for a job. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, seriously, they need to like hear what you're saying and they need somebody who isn't afraid to say no. And I was like, I'm sure they have people who aren't afraid to say no. She goes, yeah, but they get fired. And I was like, all right, well, I was like, I can, I can sit down and meet. I wasn't working, but I didn't think anything would come of it. 
So I went in, I sat down, and we started talking ideas in Stephanie's office, just back and forth, um, what kind of things I liked, what kind of uh, assets I thought that they had that might be undervalued. You know, this is a good advice for anybody going into a new job, whether it's in the creative world or not. Never go in and say what's wrong with the company. The company's been successful long before you got this stupid-ass interview. Always go in and talk about reinforcing the foundation of the company. Always talk about finding value where they, of course, see it, and maybe in other places where they might not see it as much. And that's how you get jobs, by the way. So there's some free advice. No, I love that. Our VIP Um, listeners love that. There you go. So I was talking about some of the younger talent and working with them in a similar fashion to where my acting coach worked with me. And a lot of what the acting coach exercises are, and I'll, I'll even tell you about them, the ones I did in the, for the wrestlers if you want, but it was more to get you comfortable with failure than it was to teach you the technique in acting, right? Like you can either act or you can't. You, either get, you get better or worse at it depending on how hard you work. But you either got it or you don't. So, uh, so she kind of liked where I was coming from, and and uh, they hired me on the spot to be a writer and a producer, which basically means you do everything Vince wants you to do, you even if it's not your job. But right, you'll literally be like, "Hey, uh, the magazine needs an article." Like, okay, <laughs> you'll have someone write it. No, I want you to. Um, that's not my job, but right on. So I took the job, and uh, and very early on, Vince and I just got on. We just got along well, right? We just clicked. I like learning. I ask a lot of questions. I don't give a ton of opinions until I sort of earned respect. And at the WWE, let me tell you something. It is hard as hell to earn respect. My nickname from JBL, the first six months I worked there, was six months. Because he didn't think I would last more than six months. After that, my nickname was Scooby, okay? Scooby, not Freddy, not Mr. Prinz, not nothing, just Scooby. Because of the Scooby-Doo movies? They make, they make, oh yeah, of course. (laughs) I mean, but people can make fun of that. A franchise made me almost $10 million. Right, right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's it's joke. My uncle always told me this, who I mentioned at the beginning of of our conversation. He would always say, Freddy, it's show business. Which word's bigger? Because I used to get upset (laughs) as a kid. like if creative decisions weren't going my way, I'd be like, yeah, but I don't want to do it like that. He's like, Freddie, <laughs> it's not show, it's not show art, it's show business. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so that was his name for me. And then Cena was like the hardest, right? Like he was the hardest nut to crack. He thought I, my name was Ashton Kusher for like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he might still. And we did not get along. I respect him, but we did not get along. Like right. We were going to go hang out and have beers. So, they did this thing called promo class, right? And that was, we call them monologues. They call them promos. And that's when the wrestler's out there in the middle of the ring and they have a microphone and no formal training whatsoever. And they're completely exposed on a live show. So worst, pretty much worst case scenario. Like being a stand-up comedian is the hardest job in the world. And they do it five nights a week. And now this wrestler has to do it not only on stage, but to TV as well. And they're never prepared, right? So Vince would put him in situations, sort of, that's the best way. It's like, not in the rounds, but basically you're, you're surrounded by all your peers, okay? So it's every wrestler, every producer, every booker, 
the timekeeper. I mean, ev- everybody's in there. And there's a camera on you for no reason whatsoever. And they would give you these situations that were almost impossible to act out. And I had my 10,000 hours of acting in at that point. And when you do 10,000 hours or something, number? you're a master at it. Okay. Is that the, okay. That's, I think that's what Mark Twain said back in the day. Okay. Like Fair enough. So I'm watching this and I'm like, man, I don't think I could pull this off. Like, that's crazy. So I'll give you an example. And I love both these guys, so I'm not throwing them under the bus. But it was Seamus and Wade Barrett. I met Seamus before, right, by the way. This is good. Okay, go ahead. Seamus is, is my guy. He he's was like a, one of my he, first he's a, like students, so to speak. Like for such a beastly guy, he's one of the nicest people I've ever uh, talked with. He really. I was talking to him at the airport. He was waiting to go back to Ireland to see his parents. No, I was about to say he is all family all the time. Like yep. it's all about his grandma is the reason he's a wrestler today. Like, you know, and, and you know what he said to so me? So legit, dude. It, it, it stuck out to me because I said, man, Seamus, you guys are constantly working, constantly, you know, on tour. And he said, yeah, and you know, the thing about it that bothers me the most, every time I go back to Ireland, my parents look a little bit older. Because, you know, he hardly yeah. gets to see them. So uh, that, well, They're on the road over 300 days a year. Exactly. But go ahead, Freddie, back to your story. No, it's, yeah, it's all good. So, so Vince sits there, and he goes, all right, guys. You're a dog, and you're a dog. Now make me want to watch you fight. <laughs> and the whole room goes, no one has the guts to laugh like you just did. And if Vince said it and you were there, you wouldn't even be able to laugh there. And the whole room just goes dead. And everybody wants to laugh. Everybody wants to go, what the? I don't know, can I curse? <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. We want you so to- everybody wants to be like, what the fuck? But nobody says anything, right? Because that's the chairman of the board. Right. So we're all sitting there, and you just see beads of sweat on Shane's, right? Like right away, just boosh, the sweat machine turns on. You know, like right before you're going to throw up and drink too much, and it's like 2 a.m., yeah. and you feel the sweat, and you're like, oh, damn it, I'll just go make myself puke. I'm not going to wait. Like right, right, it's right. that kind Throw of sweat where it just looks right. like a, a faucet is pouring. <laughs> and Wade just goes ghost, like ghost. He's white, but now you can, like, see his organs. He's so white. So they're horrified. I'm sitting there like, yo, what is this going to teach these guys? And Seamus literally says out loud, think I'm having an out of body experience (laughs) and the whole crowd still can't say anything. And it's quiet for like 60 seconds and Vince is waiting. And it's just so, it's like this cold silence. And finally, God bless Wade. He had the courage to go first, but he made the critical mistake of taking Vince's words literally. And instead of talking, he goes, (laughs) (laughs) and Vince jumps up and he goes, not an actual Dog, ah, oh, damn it! And he storms <laughs> off, right? And now he leaves, and Freebird, who was one of my mentors there, goes, "Well, that didn't work." And the whole place just like bust out laughing. And I go outside and I start talking to Vince, and I go, "Hey, man, I know I can help with this. Let me. This is like this is what I do, man. I was in an acting class. I absorbed everything my coach gave me." Let me do this because they're not understanding the. They don't. He would use terms like "you gotta give me a little razzle dazzle." I'm like, "Yo, man, they don't know what razzle dazzle means." Like this ain't Bobville, and and we were cool. So like, look, by the way, I pitched a hundred ideas that he literally goes, "That's shit." Go back to the drawing board. So it's not just it's not me telling him what's wrong. Like he taught me way more than I ever taught him, and a lot of the stuff I'm trying to do today are direct lessons that I learned from him. 
I respect and love that dude. Yeah. But this I knew I could do better. And he did too. And so he gave me the promo class. And uh, this is the craziest. This was the craziest job that I ever had and the best job. And this is why. Oh, right. So cool. Sorry for the 20 minute backstory, but I don't mind giving you a few extra minutes. So uh, they give me, I get to the next, I went to every live show. And back then, SmackDown wasn't live. It aired Thursdays, right, but we right, still right. take it Tuesday. So I went to every single one of them. I drove until Vince put me on the jet. I never missed a show. Like I was always there, always there for my wrestlers, the ones that I was writing for, and even the ones I wasn't. So they gave me the job of promo class. Get to the first one. Now, normally, it's in this huge room. And I've already been to like, to like 10 episodes. It's always in this huge room. What room do they give me? The fucking broom closet. It's got like four chairs. I'm like, yo. I go up to one of the guys. I'm like, yo, man. I'm like, what's up with this? He goes, that's the room they told me to give you. I go, all right. Well, I see a free room over there, and I'm taking that one. He goes, oh no, you can't. You can't do that. I go, did Vince lease the whole arena or every room in the arena but that one? And he goes, I go, is it used? He goes, no. I go, then I'm taking that one. So I moved the piece of paper that says promo class, and I put it on the one that holds like twelve people. It's the first one. 30 wrestlers show up. Oh, boy. And now I'm like, oh, shit, man. I got people standing on the side of the walls. I got people sitting on laps, sitting on the floor. I'm like, this is crazy, man. They're going to make this as hard. And I know it's a rip. Like, I know it's just Vince going, ha, 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 ha. Like, let's yeah. him pull this off. So the first thing I do is this thing called repetition, which was something my acting coach would have us do to demonstrate there's a thousand different ways to say the exact same thing. And another thing was to get us to stop feeling stupid for making mistakes in front of our friends. So the game goes like this. I say, uh, hey, I know I talk too much. And then you would be locked into that. You would say, hey, I know you talk too much. And I would say, oh, you know I talk too much? And you'd say, oh, I know you talk. And it goes ah. back and forth until it sort of either organically changes or someone taps out. Yeah. And so the person I brought up, who I still love to this day, um, and he wasn't getting any TV time back then, was The Miz. And so I bring Miz uh, up, and I just knew favorites. he'd be good at it. He's the best on the mic. You could argue Samoa Joe, but he's the best on the mic right now and has been ever since he did that blow-up on, uh, on Daniel Bryan. Absolutely. Where he just wrote his own promo. And from that moment forward, he's been untouchable on the microphone. Yeah, but that I got up there the confidence and I, boost he needed to take it to the next level because the talent was always there. Oh, that promo he cut, I, I'm sure he just did that all on his own. That, I mean, that was like, I, I, it was sick. From that moment forward, it was, like you said, the ultimate confidence booster. But I brought him up, and I explained the game the way I explained it to you. And I said, uh, all right, I said, Mike, you start. And he looks at me with this smirk, like jerk face smug, and he didn't like me. Uh, now we're cool. We actually like each other a lot, but he didn't like me. A lot of them didn't. And uh, he says, the line he cuts to me is, so you're going to teach me how to act. And then I'm locked into that. I go, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to act. Because you're going to teach me how to act. I go, I'm oh, that's going great. You. And this goes back. And when we stopped, everybody was like, oh, shit. Because it was like ultimate trash talk. But we could only say one thing. And then everybody wanted to do it. And I swear, I'm not joking. We had to actually establish a rule that you couldn't hit. Oh, that, uh, I because believe it. There's a lot in of one of them, they went back and forth in that room. Yo, straight up, Maddie <laughs> Neidhart just straight up went and clocked golf, and I was like, Yo, you can't 
punch, do you throw? <laughs> what the hell? That's but she awesome. ran out of stuff to say. That's so awesome. All of a sudden, we have this promo class, and it kind of catches on, and that's one of the exercises we do. And another one is I have them start bringing in scenes from their favorite movies, two-person scenes. And I would transcribe them from the movie to paper, and we would sort of I'd show them what those actors normally do to break down those scenes and make those types of choices. And then I would have them reenact those scenes, right? Yeah. And those were sort of the, the two main processes that I would do to help them. And then just straight up write, direct, and sometimes even give line readings um, in certain talent's case. I won't say any other names, but like I say, you can either do it or you can't. And there are some people who can't, but they can mimic, right? Like sure. they can see you do something. And then like, I'll be real with you. I'll put an earpiece in one dude's ear and in the middle of the ring, the sold out arena, I was cutting him lines the way Marlon Brando was getting them in the fucking freshman. No way. <laughs> and he pulled it off a hundred percent. So there's a lot of different ways that, that you can pull something out of a, a guy or a girl. Um, much more so with the women today um, than when I worked there. I was fortunate enough to to be able to steal credit for, for bringing the Bellas up, but that wasn't just me. I mean, that was Freebird saying, we got twins and FCW, and we're not bringing them up. What kind of assholes are we? <laughs> um, I just pitched the story that, that helped them get on there. But even then, they were still only getting five-minute matches, and that's with entrances. So right. it's really a three-minute match to tell a story. And now, all of a sudden, you know, they got double commercial breaks, man. Yeah, yeah, they're getting yeah. higher ratings on the live shows than the men's. Like, they just crush it. Right. So, no, no doubt. You know, I, didn't, I don't get to take credit for that movement. But uh, but that was sort of the process for, for working with the younger town. Yeah, uh, man. Like I said, dream-type job. I always fantasized about being a writer for the WWE. That's amazing. Now, speaking of former WWE guys, CM Punk has a UFC fight this weekend. You going to watch it? Yeah, yeah, man, you, I will. You gonna hold but your I, breath you know, for uh, for Phil, Phil Brooks? Look, I, <laughs> look, man, I know, I know the guys that he trains jujitsu with because I train with them. All right, very cool. I have, I have four stripes on my Gracie Jiu-Jitsu blue belt, and he doesn't have his blue belt yet. Oh wow! So, so just for so, people to know, look, don't mess fought, with Freddie if you run into Freddie anywhere. He'll kick your ass. Well, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like fighting. That was, I'm 42, man. Like my 20s are over. Sure. But by the way, so are Phil's. Yeah, exactly. He's pushing 40 at this point. Here's, here's the pluses and minuses. Okay. His will is going to be as great as any young hungry fighter. And you can argue that with me. Any, I'm, I'm happy to debate that because it's very easy to say, a hungry, broke kid is always going to be hungrier than a guy with, you know, millions in the bank. But the type of discipline it, it requires for him to live the life he's lived as truthfully as he's lived it, and his straight-edge thing is not a gimmick, right. um, that's next-level discipline. That's that's literally almost changing your biology. And so his will is unquestionable. Just the guts to get in there against yeah. a, a mauler like golf. Whose striking wasn't up to par, but yeah, it was Mickey still superior. Gaunt, right? so. Yep. I, I called him Mikey. Sorry, but yes, Mickey Gall. Yep. Uh, I ain't trying to get choked out by that kid. <laughs> um, so, so to me, you know, I get why he wants to do it because I know him a little bit. I don't want to say like we're homies and bros, but we were there at the same time, and I had a handful of conversations with him, and I respect the, the type of man he is, um, and what he was willing to do to maintain his dignity at that company. Yeah. Um, but. You know, there's a place for amateur MMA 
and there's a place for professional MMA, and he's not prepared for professional MMA yet. Yeah. He's just not. Um, and I know he's trained for a long time, but I know a lot of, like, look, man, I'm not trying to, like, toot my own horn, but when NFL players come down to the Gracie Academy and I'll roll with those dudes, they're guys that can bench, you know, 400 pounds 20 times in, you know, 25 seconds, and I will choke them out yeah. 10 times in five minutes, and there ain't nothing they can do about it. Because muscles don't work against leverage. Right. Like, I was grappling with one guy, he's a linebacker, You're and he's like, man, I, just, I can't get you off of me. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, how much does your belt weigh? And he goes, what, what do you mean? I go, the belt around your, he had a white belt. I go, yeah. how much does that belt weigh? He goes, like a pound. I go, bench press it. He goes, I can't. I go, yeah, because it's connected to you. I said, I'm connected, man. I don't move until you quit. <laughs> and once I feel you give up on a position, then I advance a little bit. And once I feel you give up on that or you hand me an arm, then I take that arm. Wow. But I'm never going to try to outmuscle you because you'll kill me. So a lot of times we start to, like, take martial arts and we feel or like me. Like, I watch a UFC all the time. And there's times in my, in my ego, right? Where I go, oh man, I could have stuck that fool right there. Right. Bullshit, Freddie. Like, you <laughs> call me out BS right away. Like, that's in my mind. If I was 22 and was as good as I am at 22 as I, or as good at 22 as I am now. But at 22, I was just a dumbass kid. I wasn't as disciplined as I am now. And yeah. at 42, I don't have the energy to finish a training camp, right. let alone get in the ring with a professional fighter, man. It's crazy. Right, right, right. No, I hear you, man. It's, that's great stuff. Now, let me switch gears off the fighting stuff a little bit more into acting here. I got to ask you this. Other than your wife, who was your favorite co-star? Hmm. It might be more than one. You can, you can rattle off a few. Okay, let's see, let's see, let's man, I'm shoot, man, I haven't acted in so long. Um, all right, so I did this independent movie called Pool Hall Profits, but I think they changed the name to the Shooting Gallery, which was the name of the pool hall. And I, me and this director, tried to get this movie made for ten years, and we finally raised like a million and a half bucks. And uh, at the same time, that's like that's the thing with independent filmmaking, like. You can raise money, but never enough at the same time to get the damn thing made, right? So yeah. we finally, I'm not joking, 10 years later, got enough money to make this. And uh, the only person that he ever wrote this, the bad guy role for, the guy that I would play pool with in the end, against in the end, his name was uh, Q-Ball Carl. And he always wrote it for one actor, and his name is Ving Rhames. Oh, yeah. And I've cool. been in love with Ving Rhames and Pulp Fiction, man. <laughs> And so when he came on set and he and I got to play, he would improv a lot, right? And it was like a lot of New Orleans. That's where we shot it, New Orleans pool hustling, yeah. a little bit of weird voodoo, like B storyline. And he would uh, suck on these chicken feet that he would dip in, in liquor. That was like his character's like tell, right? Yeah. And in an improv scene, he's such a jerk. <laughs> I love him. He's such a jerk, though. The cops like bust in to bust us. And he says, hey, man, prove you're loyal. Go down there get that cop off my ass, assault him so we have time to get out of here. And before I did, now that's the end of the line, and I go. And he goes, hey, I'm going to try something kind of different with you on this one. I'm like, yeah, sure. And uh, so they say, actually, cuts the line. And then before I go, he grabs my jacket. And then he pulls the chicken foot out of the liquor. And he goes, taste the foot. Uh -huh. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, mother. Fuck. And then, but in like the act, like that's the left part of your brain. The right part of your brain goes, 
man, I could taste a foot. Like, <laughs> how bad can it be? He's been tasting it for the last hour. Right. So I grabbed the foot and I put it in my mouth and just kind of like, there's like cartilage on it, right? It's, oh. it's the worst like consistency ever. And I just bite it off. And I dunk it back in his liquor glass so it, like, splashes up on him. And then I'll walk off. As soon as they say, cut, I almost puke, man. It's yeah. the most disgusting thing. I don't know how he did it. That's but so he would be one of my favorites. And then we only got to do one flick together. Um, another one of my favorites would be Rachel Lee Cook. Uh, I'm still friendly with her to this day. And another one, she's from She's All That. Mm-hmm. And another one also from She's All That would be Dulé Hill. He, uh, he was at my wedding. We're still close to this day. We used to have this epic Monopoly game that we would play with most of the cast of She's All That, and it got so scandalous and so shady. People were bringing Monopoly money from their home games in their pocket. <laughs> and if you got we allowed cheating, but if you got caught, you were kicked out, and but you couldn't leave. You had to just sit and watch. You couldn't oh, leave, though. Yeah, that's um, a whole other type Dulé of torture. The, oh, man, it was like me, Dulé, Gabrielle Union, Lil Kim played a couple times. Makai Pfeiffer. Uh, I said Rachel Lee and rest rest his soul, Paul Walker. Yeah, that's, um, that's another strong crew right there. And jo- and Jody Lynn O'Keefe, and that was our squad. And yeah. we would cheat like some mugs. We're talking about doing <laughs> doing another game and like bringing a little reunion together and recording it for everybody. Now, Freddie, before uh, we uh, took this phone call, my uh, co-host producer Benny told me that you were uh, prepared to be in the Scream movie, and it didn't work out because Scream is one of my all-time favorites. Sort of. What, what, what was yeah, behind that well, exactly? Sort of. I went in and auditioned, and it was going to be me or Skeet, and okay. Kevin wanted Kevin wanted me, and I think everybody else wanted Skeet for obvious reasons. He crushed that. Um, I didn't find this out till much later when I booked I Know You Did last summer. Right. And uh, so we went to North Carolina to make that, and that was still Kevin Williamson who wrote Scream and then adapted I Know You Did last summer from a children from a, like a teen novel, like a Ya novel, yeah. before it was called Ya. Um, and uh, he came up to me in one of the rehearsals, and he told me this story. He goes, you know, I really wanted you for Scream. And I was like, oh, my God, I wanted that role so bad. He goes... He goes, yeah, he was like, just so you know, no matter what, you were getting this. I was like, what? They made me audition five times. He's like, yeah, that's on you. He's like, you're going to get it. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> so, yeah, man, so I, it didn't work out on screen, but it I, worked out at the end. I love uh, both those movies, to be honest. They're two of my all-time favorite 90s movies. I mean, I know you're biased. Like, it, it's. I guess this is a weird question. What movie do you think was better? I know what you did last summer or Scream. I think you'll always like the one you didn't get more. <laughs> really? Okay, going into the mind of an actor. So, man. That's it's... cool. I'm glad I asked that then. Yeah, I, I think, at least for me, I mean, I look, I didn't have a dad, so I have a lot of mentors. Right. And one of them is, is Michael Thompson. He used to play for the Lakers back in the day. He was the number one draft pick in 1978. He's Clay Thompson's father, who yeah, plays yeah. for the Golden State Warriors. Um, Trace Thompson's father, who yeah. plays for the Chicago friggin' White Sox. Yeah, and, was and Michael LA Jr., Dodger, who's right? in the G League. Right. Yeah, he was a Dodger for a time, and I've I've spoken to him about you know success and and failure quite a few times, and he always says he remembers the losses in championship games as vividly as the day he played them, whereas he can't remember the wins except for like the celebrate. Yeah, and yeah. It, it drives him nuts. Like he always thinks about the ones he lost. He never thinks about the ones he won. Yeah. So I, I there are times literally where I still think about it's 
scream I see it like on the direct TV scroll guide uh-huh. um, where you're just surfing through looking for a movie and if that's on I'm always like son of a bitch I wish I would have looked that right, right and I think that's like just a part of a winner's mentality anyway it just comes with being a winner yeah and and just all the guys that raised me remind me of all the times I screwed up before they even say I love you. So it yeah. comes from that too. Yeah. That's their way of really telling them, telling you that they love you. Because they don't want you to make yeah, the same man, mistakes they, keep, they, they did. keep you honest. They keep you humble. They keep you hungry. So it's now, good. Now, Summer Catch with the, the beautiful Jessica Beale, fantastic movie. I remember going to see that movie at the AMC, I believe it was, with my uh, mother and my father. Uh, it was just like kind of a a, mo- a family movie outing, and my father loved the movie. He was a huge baseball guy, huge Phillies fan. <laughs> I, I was an M2. Uh, how did it come about? Because uh, I remember leaving the theater wondering, how did they decide to be the Phillies at the end of that movie? You know, you could have been any team in baseball. How, how was it the Phillies out of all the teams? Well, Mike, uh, the director, who's also done a lot of documentaries on baseball, great documentaries, I might add, um, is a huge baseball historian, huge baseball fan, and his favorite team, the Phillies. I wanted him to be a Dodger. So Mike was like, no, buddy, we're not doing that. Yeah, we're yeah, doing yeah. The Phillies. Like, it was very important. I'm like, man, you didn't write the script. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> now, we, so, we know. Uh, we so know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, we, no, please, go ahead. I, I, we know about your uh, martial arts skills and whatnot. John Crux said you could throw the ball like a Major League Baseball player. Is he blowing smoke, Freddie, or is that the truth? Uh, no, actually. I mean, this was in a time, look, you got to remember, this was like close to 20 years ago. So now a movie gets greenlit, like you audition for it, and then a week later it's shooting. So we did something back in the day called friggin' rehearsals, right, <laughs> and right. you had more than, like, three days, you had more than a week, you had more than two weeks, so everyone who was cast had, like, two and a half months to, uh, with real baseball coaches from the Rockies organization, uh, former players, minor leaguers, stuff like that, and they were working us out every single day. I had the benefit of playing baseball as a kid, um, I played center field, I didn't pitch, but I played center field because I was fast and I could throw hard. Uh, so it wasn't that tricky, but I had sick coaches. You'll have to forgive me for not remember their names, but remember, this is like 20 years ago. Yeah, before. we're going back a little bit, of so, course. Um, one of the pitchers I got to work with, I only remember his first name, Bud, but he used to play for the Pirates. I think it's, uh, I can't remember his last name, but we just called him Bud. And he was the one who taught me the curveball, and I had never thrown one before. And I shit you not, the very first one I threw was the best curveball I've ever thrown to to date yeah. because I just did exactly what he said and everybody like stopped. Like there was this guy named Heath. He was in triple A ball. He could throw 94 miles an hour. It looked like a tic-tac. Okay. Right. I'm not joking. I tried to hit him one time. I stood in the box when he was, I was like, man, let me just see one. And I didn't even move before the catcher already had the ball. I was just like, dude, I, I you know. can't even see like it was too fast. So I threw this curveball and Heath comes over. He goes, if I throw a curveball like that, I'd be in the major league already. <laughs> That's so awesome. I, that's when I that's when I figured out I was starting to get good, and then I started working even harder, and my workouts got way longer. I thought another month to go yeah. before we even you know started shooting a baseball thing. So 
my arm got real, real strong. They clocked me at 84 miles an hour, which was like old man Maddox speed. So yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. No, that's cool. I mean, so, that's no joke. So I felt really good about it. And after that, I got to throw the first pitch out at a few stadiums. And I threw a strike at all of them except uh, except Rocky, except uh, Maha. Not okay. Maha, Coors Yeah, Coors Field. Yeah, yeah uh, that's but no I joke didn't right it, there. So that was good. Uh, and it sounds like you really enjoyed your time doing that movie. That sounds like a fun experience, even outside of the acting, just being around all those uh, major league. You know, uh, I, look, I was the bat boy for the for the Albuquerque Dukes, which was the AAA farm team for the Dodgers. Like I used to hand Eric Carroll's bat. So, yeah. you know, for me, like that was a dream come true. And we shot baseball for like three weeks straight. Eric Carroll was a big you know, time guy. Oh, he was a sick first baseman for the was. Dodgers. And by the way, his hair. His hair is still all-star. Like, oh, it's legendary. Straight up being a Vidal Sassoon commercial oh, every yeah. day of And those Dodgers teams were good. Raul Mondesi, I mean, all types of – They were uh, good. We just – we couldn't we couldn't do enough. Yeah. They were good. Now, now, Frank, I got to ask you this. Hollywood marriages, marriages in Philadelphia, they're hard, let alone Hollywood. What <laughs> has been the secret to maintaining such a solid, strong marriage with Sarah Michelle Yo, Gellar? you're the first – you're the first person to ever address that question legitimately in the 17 plus years my wife and I have been together. Because I always start off by saying, yo, man, marriage is hard, period. It's 52% fail. Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. Is, that is straight rough stuff. You know, the thing with Hollywood a lot is uh, Kathleen Turner said something back in the mid-80s. For those of you who don't know who she is, she was the voice of Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that's uh, really can we just tell you something um, real quick? We had what? we had the voice of Roger Rabbit on this show uh, Charles Fleischer, not too that's long my uncle. ago. I used Char- to live with Charlie. Charles Fleischer's your uncle? Oh, I got to say. my you... dad's best friend. He used to, what? He used to open for my dad. Not no. by blood. Did you know friend. this? Did you know we had Brother. him on? No, let me tell you. We're gonna. I don't know what I was talking about, but I'm gonna tell you the greatest Charles Fleischer what? story. My mind in the is world. blown right now. Oh, so man. when I was 12 years old, I lived with him because my mom wanted me to get to know the kind of uh, you know my my father's friends who she trusted and loved. She didn't know Charles was certifiably genius slash insane, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we picked up on that right so, away, bro. So when I was 12 <laughs> years old, he teaches me how to do the Roger Rabbit voice, right? What? Which he hates. He hates. He hates the Roger Rabbit voice. And by the way, originally it was Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, who was the voice of Roger. And they fired him, and they hired Charles to replace him when uh, oh when Zemeckis came up. God. Yeah. So, oh, I can give you history on this stuff all day. So you got to remember, my dad was the shit in the seventies. All these old comics, like they took care of me. I was in. I used to hang out in the improv when I was twelve years old. I would go into the bathroom, and there'd be actors who are way more famous than me back then and today, and they'd just be doing like cocaine right off the counter and. Bud Freeman would be like, little pretty, let's look over here. Come on, go pee-pee. Okay, let's get out. All right, here we go. Back to the room. <laughs> so I, I grew up around these guys, and Charles was one of them. And uh, like I said, he taught me how to do the voice, and he was always such a good, kind man to me. And he told me this amazing story when I was 15. He said, uh, Frank, uh, come here. I want to I tell, tell you a story. So what? And he goes, uh, one day I was opening for your dad in Chicago, and uh, he, comes in, he comes into my dressing room, and he goes, hey, uh, hey Chuck, do you think you have a bigger dick than me? And uh, <laughs> I looked at him and I go, well, yeah, yeah, probably, probably. He goes, well, let me see. And he goes, you know, I wasn't gay, I didn't care. So I opened up my pants, pulled out my dick, and he looks at it and he goes, nope, mine's bigger. And he walked out the fucking door. I'm 15. 
16 years old, and this guy just turned my father into a superhero. You got to understand, oh like, before God. that, every story people would tell me would be a tragedy, right? Cause yeah. My father was, it was ruled an accidental shooting, but he was super high on a lot of different drugs, and he shot himself in the head um, oh, on my mom's man. birthday oh. and died. So that's normally the world that dad stories would revolve in. Yeah, and so at man. 15, it's the first time where I get this amazing amazing story where my dad's like a human being right yeah. so cut to legit 15 years later i'm turning 30 years old i have my own sitcom on abc um life is good we win our time slot as long as american idol's not on everything's like life is groovy and i get to hire a recurring character who's going to be the chef that mentored me and i get to hire charles fleischer wow. so he comes on the show he does like three episodes and we're always just catching up and i would go to the club and watch him perform that night and on the last episode, he comes up to me, and he's got this giant drawing like clipboard, and he goes, "Ah, uh, Freddie, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you something." And I go, "Okay, what?" He goes, "So, everybody that I worked with who had a, a big impact on me, I, I always ask them to draw, to draw a picture in his book." And here I'm like, "Oh man, he's gonna ask me to draw a picture in his, in his book." So I'm like expecting to do this. I go, "Yeah, man, no problem." He goes, "Oh," he goes, "No, no, no, it's not, it's not for you." What? <laughs> And he goes, uh, he goes, and he goes, no, no, he goes, it's full. He goes, uh, but your father drew me a picture, and uh, I want you to have it. Uh, that's and so, so that's now, special. like, the waterworks are already, like, my yeah. eyes swell up right yeah, away. Because yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't dealt with him. When I became a father myself was when I stopped, like, getting emotional about my dad, and I could just speak very freely mm. about his faults and his qualities. Mm. Um, and it just naturally happened. It wasn't anything I did through therapy or forcing or alcohol or anything like that. It just happened. Yeah. So my eyes are totally welled up, and I'm real emotional. And he goes, uh, he gave me this. It's always meant a lot to me, but it's important for, to me that you have it now. Mm. And he turns it around, and I see this picture that my father drew. Well, I always heard was a really good artist, but I've never seen anything he drew before. And uh, it's a picture of an erect dick <laughs> that's about four feet tall <laughs> with a little Jewish guy's afro poking out on both sides and his hands are wrapped around it so it looks like if Charles Fleischer was holding like a California redwood and his hair is sticking out on the sides right and he's got some little hairy balls on the bottom and it says dear Charlie stay hard love for Abraham I'm trying you gotta understand I'm on the verge of tears right like I'm and about that's to your reward, see, but man. then he hits me, and Charles <laughs> presents it to me not as a joke like he's not looking for a, this meant a lot to him yeah. But now all I'm seeing is is a giant penis in my face. And I'm like, and my dad drew it. So I'm basically seeing my dad's dick in my face. And oh I'm trying not God. to cry and I'm trying not to laugh. And so all <laughs> I can do is be like, Charlie, thank you, man. I give him this big hug, but I have it framed. It's in my attic and it's on the wall and it sits there. And I, I look at it all the time, man. I just, I can't get enough of it. I love that you had Charlie on the show. Well, Freddie, I love that. if you think about it, uh, mankind has been drawing dicks for you know since the beginning of time, so it's very like fitting and yeah. actually kind of makes about sense. That. Yeah, why not? Seriously. <laughs> so I, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And you know what's even crazier? Um, after uh, my cousin Anthony listened to the uh, Charles Fleischer Roger Rabbit episode, and he said, you know, he he reminds me of our uncle talking about somebody else in our family, and. 
that it's just it's just crazy the coincidence there. I mean, Roger Rabbit's one of my all-time favorite movies, so it was oh, like yeah. amazing. Having, yeah, it was amazing having him on, and I'm obviously going to send you the episode if, so when you get some free time, you can listen to him. It's hilarious. Like our our listeners oh, yeah, absolutely man. loved it. I go back and still listen to it. Um, but Charlie's been like a daddy to me forever. That maybe that's why this all came together. It was yeah, just man. To it's like me and me and Benny, uh, my co-host and producer, we talk about it all the time. Like we're, when we're doing this, it just it feels like there's something above that keeps helping us. I don't know if that makes any sense to people out there, but it makes yeah, sense to that us. That means you're on the path, man. Yeah, you're on the path. Yeah, that's no, all. no doubt. Now. Getting back to the original question, I mean that mar- this marriage has been a beautiful thing, oh, yeah. and it's like um, it's it's inspiring for a lot of people. Uh, are there any secrets, any any tips you can give people that are early on in their marriage or engaged or you know five, six, seven years in? What would you say to people? No, just to, I got know? no, I got no secrets, but I can just tell tell the truth. If you're already married, you might be screwed. So I'm sorry. Um, it may not work out. Right. But if you're not, I would always recommend what worked for me, right? So what worked for me is Sarah and I were friends for a good year and a half, two years. And I didn't even look at her in that way, nor did she look at me that way. I was this weird, like, zen surfer who liked to get hit in the face and liked to, you know, write her poems. Like, it didn't make sense. So oh, you were writing so we her were poems. Not, was, Interesting. I would, well, when we started dating. I, I oh, did, okay, like, okay. All she knew okay. was just a weird guy. Like, I was just a weird dude. Yeah. And she was just, like, New Yorker, raised in the business from age four, like, had already seen everything you could see, fast talker, fast walker. And me, I'm walking slow. I'm looking for ways. Cause I literally brought my surfboard to North Carolina with a minute. I know you do last summer and surf every day. Yeah. So... You know, I'm just a Cali kid, so we were night and day. She didn't even have a license because she was a New Yorker. I would have to drive her to Wilmington, North Carolina, so she could go to the gym and work out. Um, and then I would just surf up there and drive her back. But we were friends. I didn't think she ate enough, so I, when we got back to L.A., um, her mom lived close by, and we would do barbecues once a week. and always make sure her and her mom came over, and my family would be there, my extended sort of martial arts family, and they all love her more than me. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, we just became tight and close, and then... You know, one day we went out to dinner, and there was going to be three of us, and it became just a, two, a twofer, and uh, it just sort of organically became a date. But the advice part of this is be friends first, because yeah. you know their faults, you know their qualities, you know what you have in common, you know what drives you crazy about them, and whether or not you can deal with that. So ha- all the surprises that wreck marriages, because you rush in, because you go... That's the hottest person I can ever get. It'll never get hotter than that, so let's get married. <laughs> and I think that's the mistake that so many people make is they go, that's the best I can get. And that's wrong, man. There's, yeah, there's it a is. perfect person who will make you laugh for as long. Sarah's made me laugh for almost 18 years. Right. Um, and that's why we're still together. Because her and I are both going to get old and ugly one day. But as long as there's still heart there and there's still interest in fun, fun being one of the key things and that's different for everyone but right, for me sure. that's laughter sure um and if you can make me laugh you're going to be in my life a long time but what the hell i'm the son of a stand-up comedian so, so you never felt like you had to break out of the friend zone with her so to speak it never felt like that just because i i'm very if you're in a friend zone it's because you're not being honest with the 
person that's supposed to be your friend. Right. So, Great point. Then the friendship's already on shaky ground. You know <laughs> Such a like, good point. Yeah. So, so I would discourage that. Like, if you feel you're in the friend zone, tap out and go find someone else. Yes, agreed. I've, I've been already living by that for there. the past uh, 15 years, basically. That's so true. So do you say all this Tinder, Bumble, online dating, it's basically bullshit, right? I don't know. I've never done it. Look, man, as as the generations change, so do the, the ways we eat food, the way we consume entertainment, the way we date. To me, it, that would be way too intimidating. Like, if, if Sarah was ever like, yo, I'm sick of your dumb ass. I'm out. Like, I would be dead. I would be dead. Like, really? I would just be like a hermit in the hills. <laughs> and like once every 10 years, a student would like climb the stone steps and learn the fist of death or some <laughs> bullshit. Like, I wouldn't even know how to do it. But it, it has to work for some people. And I'm sure it doesn't work for the other half. Just like our way works great for half and doesn't for the other half. Yeah. But I don't know if it's BS. I've never done it. And I don't, you know, my age demo is most of my circle is married. And my last single friend um found his girlfriend at the gym like they're both gym rats that's very uh cool. so it wasn't like a it wasn't a tinder thing so i don't know man but there's gotta be there's gotta, one of your listeners i'm sure has a success story from eharmony.com right and they can sing you the jingle right and you know if that jingle uh is stuck in your head there's something wrong there uh now you know, that- i Tweet, no, speaking of that, I had to tweet out this morning. I woke up with the damn Marty Moose song from National Lampoon's Vacation, and it hasn't even left my head. It's, I've literally hummed it in my head like three times during this podcast. I can't get rid of the damn song. Things Sorry, like, go ahead. What was your question? Though? No, no, things like that happened to me too. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever get on Sarah about like the Cruel Intentions movie? Because that was a crazy-ass movie, man. That was good shit, that it movie. It was. I, I, I actually wanted to audition movie. for that. You want to know the weirdest thing? I wanted to... I watched what? that movie for the first time, I guess at the time she was like, with like my 85-year-old grandmother. We were just sitting down watching that movie. <laughs> Even she liked it. I love that movie. Well, she had seen its predecessor. She had seen <laughs> Dangerous Liaison. So she kind of... There you go, could, right. <laughs> excuse me. She could probably sense the story a little bit and connect to it just from uh, just from another generation, but... I remember every actor in this town wanted that movie, and they pretty much just went offer, offer, offer. Um, but oddly enough, randomly enough, uh, Selma came over to our house just the other day, and uh, her and her boy and my wife and my daughter all went to go see Pink in concert together. Very cool. Very cool. That movie is uh, one of those iconic 90s movies. I mean, Freddie, it's different because you were in so many of them, but... I look at these 90s movies, I don't know, I can't explain it. It's not necessarily that they're all the greatest movies ever made. Something about them, I don't know what it is, I am obsessed with 90s movies. To this day, I can't get enough of them, and I watch them over and over again. And there's not many new movies that I will watch over and over again. Do you feel feel the same way about the 90s movies? Not, but mine isn't the '90s. Like that's a generational thing, right? Like for me, it's the '80s. So right, right. if there's just about anything from the '80s on, I mean, to me, one of the greatest movies ever made still was Over the Top. Yeah, the, the arm wrestling movie yeah. was Five Below, and I that know. couldn't get made today. It's you know, that's, I love Big Trouble classic. in Little China. Oh, I love that. And as far as the teen movies Kurt go, Russell. like I was a breakfast, I'm a Breakfast Club kid. 
you know, I was a pretty and pink kid. I was some kind of wonderful kid. Like, I loved all the 80s, St. Elmo's Fire. So for me, those are the ones. So that's just a generational thing. What am I? I'm probably like 12 years older, 10 years older than you, 12 years older than you. I'm 30, so, so yeah, you're 12 years older than me. Yeah, 12 years. So that works out. So you would go 90s hard. I'll go 80s hard. Your parents will go Elvis, you know, and down the line. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, with the uh, 80s movies, if you had to pick your top, top uh, 80s movie, number one, no dispute about it, what is it? Big Trouble in Little China or They Live, either one. They're both John Carpenter movies. Uh-huh, that's funny. Are, are you familiar with uh, Deborah Hill? She produced John Carpenter. Is this Car an actress? No, Deborah Hill oh, was a producer? producer for John Carpenter movies. Uh, no, but I've never met John either. So. Oh, okay. All right. No, it was a, that was a weird thing. She was uh, she grew up with my mother. Uh, they were uh, lifelong friends, but she was, you know, a part of the Halloween movies and uh, all so that good so stuff. So you know about Carpenter. Oh, of so course. So like that cult campiness is sort of where my heart's always, always. Yeah. And, and sort of wanted to, you, to find a home. The fact that you named uh, Kim Cattrall Big Trouble Little China, which Kim Cattrall was in, um, she yeah. was in Porky's with our last guest that we had on, Tony Ganos. And Porky's kind of started the teen movie genre. I wonder if that was the one that started. I don't, I can't confirm that because that was almost a little before my, like that was one of the movies I wasn't allowed to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was a kind of ahead but, uh, of its time in terms I of watching. I wonder if that was the first one. Well, Tony, huh. who we just had on, swears it was the first one, and I, I, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, but I'll swear on some of my movies some crazy shit. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. All right, Freddie, we appreciate your time. We're going to leave you with this with our guests. We do a rapid fire sometimes. We're going to do it with you, and then we'll let you get out you of here. It. All right. Casino or Goodfellas? Casino. Ric Flair. God, that's hard. Ric Flair. Ric Flair. Doesn't matter who the other person is. <laughs> New York stripper or filet mignon? New York strip. You like that bone. The bone brings a whole new flavor to it. Well, I would have picked a ribeye over both of them, but you didn't uh, give me a I know, yeah, good point. You can go off the beaten path. We, the, the, my guests never listen to me anyway. They like to, they'll give me all types <laughs> of risks. So don't worry about it. Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Oh, my God. Okay, which ones are still on my phone? <laughs> I have more Eddie Vedder. I have more Pearl Jam on my phone. Pearl Jam. All right. Fair enough. Nike or Adidas? Nike. Jason Bourne or James Bond? <laughs> Our man Flint didn't make the cut, huh? All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, with our American agent. I'm gonna go with Jason Bourne. Where are they hiding Jason Bourne right now? We want to know. All right, Batman or Superman? Superman, cornball man. I'll go Batman. <laughs> He is, man. He is. Horny, dude. The, the only storyline I've liked for Superman in the last decade are the ones from the damn Injustice video game, where they yeah. actually give him some depth, and he actually, like, has a bad thought once in a while. Man, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they tried it in the movie, but I just can't it didn't, get into it their didn't, flicks, it man. It didn't come across well in Justice League. Yeah, man. I'm just... The DC movies, like, the DC... 
Animated stuff is top shelf, but the movies are just not not doing it. And they miss out on so many opportunities. DC has characters out the ass that would be perfect for horror films. And yeah. instead of living in that way, you have James friggin' Wan doing Aquaman instead of making a Solomon Grundy horror film like Friday the 13th style. Like, right. what the hell? You could make that shit for $20 million, you would make $300 million, and then you would have an established bad guy for one of your heroes to come up and actually struggle with and beat. And yeah. then Green Lantern doesn't freaking suck. But yeah, Green Lantern didn't suck. They don't get Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool, and life would be miserable. True. So we're glad that Green Lantern sucks because we did get Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool because Very Ryan Reynolds is badass. Sorry about t- hijacking your 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 questions. Go ahead. No, no, no. That that's fine. I mean, that's that's like uh, you know an inside look from from an act. I can appreciate stuff like that, and I know I know our listeners can too. I, I had one earlier for you written down, Phillies or Dodgers, but we already answered Dodgers. that. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Uh, where's your va- uh, favorite vacation spot, Frey? I got to say that uh, Kona, Hawaii would be my favorite place. That's where my wife and I have gone the most in our lives. Uh, we brought our kids there, taught my wife how to surf there because they have a coral reef, so you get the same wave every time instead of the sand reefs, which is a different wave every time, so it's super easy to learn up there. So definitely the big island, Kona, uh, Hawaii. Okay. Now, Freddie, I just got to leave you with this. I didn't realize you were a surfer like this. Um, I don't know if you remember a movie, True Romance. Of course. One of my favorites, if not my favorite movie. Uh, There's a scene in the movie where uh, James Gandolfini is waiting in a motel room uh, for uh, Patricia Arquette. The Safari Motel. The the Safari Motel. And the sign for the Safari Motel is, uh, it it says the Safari Inn, and there's like a surfboard on the uh, motel sign. I'm getting that tattooed this Monday to like pay tribute to my favorite movie. And Sick, dude, I think I know that whole movie by heart. I love that movie. What a what a cast, what a cast, and I just love the dialogue. I love the storyline. I mean, the cast is unbelievable. Gary Oldman, Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, Christian Slater, uh, James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Michael Rappaport. I mean, that's unbelievable. They got stuff. Val Kilmer to play Elvis uh, Presley yes! for crying out loud. And you would like, never, ridiculous. You would never know it was Val Kilmer. It really no, never. You know, never, he never, never takes the glasses off. And they did a great, and they kept them in soft focus in the background. And uh, th- that whole movie is just that performance. And I don't know a guy who's ever disagreed with this. Um, when Patricia Arquette takes that horrific beating from Gandolfini yep. and never gives up, uh, it's awesome. What her and her man's future are going to be, and never gives up Clarence. Every guy there literally was like, I want to marry you. I know. And she looks like at her absolute worst because she's beat down and yeah, bloody. bloody and killed the guy. wet and from the shower. Blood yep. And, and toilet water and everything else. And every guy that I've ever met has been like, dude, I totally wanted to marry Patricia Arquette. <laughs> but, I mean, she was super hot overall in that movie. Yeah, but it was just how accepting and amazing of a loser she was. Yes. Like I grew up watching samurai movies and the X-Men cartoon and playing video games. Like girls didn't think that was cool, bro. I was single till I was 17, yeah, man. Like yeah, yeah, life yeah. was rough. 
and yeah. this guy gets Patricia Arquette. Get yeah. the hell out of here. Yeah. And <laughs> it gave dorks hope. It, yeah, you're right about that. And maybe I guess that's why I like it so much. Um, oh, and I loved it. It was <laughs> originally a Japanese movie, right? And they made it into the American, that was the American version of it. Quentin Tarantino had seen it when he worked in a video store. Yep. And adapted it from that, from and, watching it on VHS, I think. It yes. Was. And when you, when they're in Christian Slater's apartment after they go see the movie, there's a, a movie poster on his apartment wall of the actual Get out of movie. Here. Yeah, and I ah, see. I learned something. That I didn't know that. Yeah, I love shit like that, man. That that to me. You deep dived on true romance. Yeah, I that's do. your favorite movie. I sure. I do, I do. But Freddie, this conversation has inspired the fuck out of me. Uh, I know our listeners wow. are gonna love this. This was amazing. Uh, this honestly, I'm not overstating this. This is one of the best experiences of my life, man. You are an absolute ace. Oh, dude, you're coming. too nice, man. No, Appreciate yeah. you. You're an ace for coming on, joining us. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you again soon. I'm going to send you the episode we did, uh, the Roger Rabbit episode. And, man, have a great rest of your day. Do it. I know you got that YouTube listen. channel business now. If you wanted to tell our listeners real oh, quick thanks. what you got yeah, going on on listen. YouTube. We play, we play a ton of tabletop games. That means everything from Monopoly to games that are sort of like uh, more on the adult side, like Hearts Against Humanity, stuff like that. We do video game streams on there. Uh, we do a lot of like comedy sketches that are in the nerd verse. My podcast partner, Josh Wolf, our podcast is called Friends and the Wolf. Uh, we do his show Controlled Chaos on there, which is just an hour of like six or seven L.A. comics talking shit for 60 minutes. It's really funny. Um, so if you like comedy and games, you can check it out on YouTube.com forward slash Geghead. It's just Egghead with a G in the beginning, and that's super easy. But uh, yeah, man, one day you got to get Christian Slater on there and just talk, talk hardcore true romance, and maybe one of his cult classics called uh, "Pump Up the Volume." Ah, oh, look, I, I would love to get Christian Slater on this show. He's a big time guy. What was the movie he did with John Travolta? Great '90s action movie, Broken Arrow. Oh, Broken Arrow. And yeah, man. How, how John Long Moore. was in that? I liked Broken Arrow, man. That's I, right. They put Howie Long in that. Yeah. He did like the mean, the mean expressions the whole time. Well, well Freddie, I might be a Philly guy, but I'm a diehard Raiders fan, so I'm not going to miss out on Howie. Get out of here. I'm a Raiders fan. No, come on. Dude, I never admit it because most of us are dicks. <laughs> yeah, no, we are. I think but that's part of the lore of it. I'm never like, I've never assaulted anyone over football. Like, I'm really <laughs> chilled out. I was literally going to say, go Eagles, except when they play the Raiders, if they do. Oh, so I, I was, I'm glad I was we there, both there like Christmas the night. Yeah, man. Uh, Alright, what's your take on them moving to Vegas? I personally, look, I like LA a lot and I have a lot of respect for Oakland, of course. Um, I know they're a Cali team, but it was the weirdest thing for me, because like, Vegas is one of my favorite things ever. The, the history of entertainment there, the history of partying, Sinatra, Dean Martin. And then out of nowhere, my favorite team that I idolize moves to my favorite city. Like, it kind of blew my mind a little bit, but what's your take on it? I'm very excited for it. Well, my mother lived there. My best friend lived there. Um, I'm there often. Yeah, uh, I was just there, the uh, just there last week. Yeah, well, they love it because they're arthritic. You love it because it's a blast to party there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know what's but, funny? Uh, I always I, say, when I'm in Vegas, my allergies don't bother me because of that dry desert air. 
yeah, it kills everything. <laughs> the heat just destroys everything. <laughs> right. But uh, look, once they didn't come to L.A., you know, I didn't care where they went. I'll still watch them. But we have the Rams here, which I guess is good, and they're a good team. The Chargers, I don't know why they're here, and I hate the Chargers. I should have been the Raiders. Absolutely. But I will tell you this. If you, if you have money, now would be a great time to buy real estate. Um, off the 15 freeway from Vegas to Los Angeles. Yeah, because when they put that high speed, they're going to put a high speed train, like a non-stopper, from probably like somewhere in LA to Vegas in the next 10 years. Yeah. And if you own a house on that line, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, man. The real estate out there is booming. Yeah, it's going to blow up, man. And it'll be good. it'll be good for that economy, which has never been a consistent one. Right. And that'll certainly make it much more consistent. So it'll be good for good for the Southwest. So, yeah. Yeah, right on. I, I'm gonna watch them wherever they play, as long as you know they don't make them go to London or something. Same, same. I mean, that was my opinion the whole way through. I obviously wanted to see them go back to LA, but uh, I thought Vegas was the next best thing. I'm a Raiders fan, you know. I'm not a city of Oakland fan. Of course, I respect and like the city, but I don't like the Raiders because I'm from Oakland. Ah, uh, clearly. Hey, you know, man, you ain't, you ain't missing nothing. Oakland ain't nothing to, to miss. Exactly. That's kind of... <laughs> I've, that, I've been there plenty. That was my perspective, man. But, Freddie, like I said, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you for joining us. Can't wait to talk to you again soon, and I'll be in touch, man. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for the time, man. No problem. Later. And there it is, Benny, Freddie Prince Jr. That conversation, I'm not I'm not overstating this, gave me chills. I can't believe the Roger Rabbit connection, the Raiders connection. Yeah. How about when I said to him, so what movie did you like more? I know you did last summer, Scream. He goes, Scream. Yeah. You know how I love Scream. I know you do. I mean, I got the, the, the ghost mask tattooed on me. Yeah. Right. I got the Raiders logo tattooed on me. It's not like I'm blowing smoke when I'm saying these are my things. I agree. <laughs> it was natural. It was a natural connection with Freddie. Yeah, yeah. FPJ was huge, man. Yeah, he was. Um, and you know what? We Through our interaction on uh, Twitter and whatnot, we knew he would be. Absolutely. The dude's amazing. Yeah, just a down-to-earth guy. Very, very cool. You could easily go out and have a beer with him. And, you know, blow off a few hours. Of course. The WWE uh, experience he had, that is something I was always enamored with from a young age. I thought to myself, how cool would it be to write out these storylines for wrestler, wrestlers? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was, he, was, he was in the mix with those guys. Cena and all them, teaching them how to act, this, that, and the other, giving them, uh, you know, tidbits on what to improve on this. I mean... That type of shit is cool, man. Yeah, it's amazing how he's multifaceted in his talents, you know, was able to walk away from Hollywood, which most people wouldn't be able to do, and continued his success in multiple different fields. Yeah, yeah. And all our VIP listeners, uh, they got to check out his YouTube channel. They got to check out the podcast. He's, He's an entertaining, nice guy, and he's fucking hilarious yeah as nice as they come Ooh, he had us dying absolutely yeah, you never hilarious hear me. you ever hear me when was when was the last time i laughed like that on this show you'll Probably know it never no no you'll know there was one other time charles fletcher yep yeah Th- that was it yeah no i hear you it makes sense it does yeah the guy was awesome a total a plus total stand-up guy 
yeah. I couldn't be any happier with that, Marky. Oh man, me either. That uh, it's things like that, Benny. That there, look, there's more than one thing, but there's thing. It's the things like that that make this whole process worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he's a childhood idol, if nothing more. But the guy was just unbelievable, unbelievably kind to come on, unbelievably kind with the stuff he said, and, and very honest also, as open book as it comes. Yeah, you got to love the transparency. And, you know, it's funny. Some of our guys that we have on and girls, some will elaborate on a question when I ask it. Uh, some won't. Yeah. Uh, Fred, the elaboration, the, the explanation that Freddie gave us on everything. Everything. It doesn't get any better than that. Seriously. I mean, that guy, it's hard to put into words, Mark, uh, yeah. how great he was. Honestly, <laughs> know, it really is hard. And I know our VIP listeners had to enjoy it. Um, we certainly appreciate you guys for listening in. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you again soon, guys. So from myself, from Benny Spielberg, and from our guy, Freddie Prince Jr., Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you next time on The Mark. Waiting, watching the clock, it's four o'clock, it's Got to stop, tell him, take no more. She practices her speech as he opens the door. She rolls over, pretends to sleep as he looks her over. She lies and says she's another Can't find a better man. She dreams in colors she dreams in Can't find a better man Can't find a better man Can't find a better man oh. There's no one else who needs to know She tells herself